Most people kind of do those 30 day challenges and then they're kind of one month after that 30 day challenge, they're in worse shape than they were before. So a big part how we work is also kind of sustainability aspect is that we want to work together on a prolonged period of time so we can build the habits. We work with the behaviors, behaviors turn into habits and the habits turn into your identity. And due to that, we have that sustainability and due to that, you have a routine that it can actually stick to long-term. So that is kind of another aspect that we work on together to really guarantee a long-lasting lifestyle change. What the hell is up, you guys? Today, I got Florian on the podcast. He is founder of fitvegans.com. He has helped over 200 vegans in different countries get in the best shape of their lives. Florian, you got to help me out here. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you. It's good to be here, Jamie. Good to have you here. We're ready to get in the best shape of our lives. Today, we're going to talk about all the different nutrition tips, fitness tips to kind of get you guys started. So why don't you tell me a little bit about where you're from, how you went vegan. Give us a little intro about yourself. So I'm vegan for seven years. I originally went vegan after reading the book Eating Animals by Chanton Saffron Fower. And that was a book that really opened my eyes to kind of the cruelty of factory farming because I never, I, I had an inch uh, or kind of an inkling of what was going on, on in animal agriculture, but never really had that accurate kind of depiction of what exactly is going on, right? So after reading that book by Jonathan Zafran Fowler for the first time, I, was, I realized that I was full of shit. So my eating choices do not really match up kind of what I truly value in life. Um, and it just made sense to not kind of hurt sentient beings um, with my food choices. So after... About seven years ago, or almost eight years, I went vegan, uh, originally for the animals. But now the longer I'm vegan, the more I realize that there's no reason not to go vegan. So now I'm, reason also for, uh, now I'm vegan also for, um, for the health, obviously, that's where I work in right now, and also for the planet. So right now I'm vegan for everything, I should say. Um, normally I'm based in Switzerland, so that is my home base. That's where I was born and raised, but currently I'm calling in for, from uh, beautiful Brazil. That's where I usually go to escape the Swiss winter a bit uh, in the beginning of the year. Oh, that's amazing. I love, love, love Brazil. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, for a lot of us, it's there's different pathways to going vegan, whether it is the environment, whether it is health. But I think what keeps us vegan is the animals and like really understanding what happens to them. But when you're living in a time where there's all this science and information that you can thrive and survive on a plant-based diet, it's like, well, why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> you know? So um, that's awesome. So why don't you um, talk a little bit about your journey into fitness and health? Um, so I was actually, I was training before going vegan. I was a, the classic meathead, right? So I was eating chicken and rice out of the Tupperware. Um, I was that kind of guy. Um, and that made it even harder to go vegan, I should say, because a lot of the friends and a lot of the social circle I was around was those kind of meatheads as well and those bodybuilders as well. So you can imagine kind of the thing that a normal person goes through when they're looking to go vegan. And then you can uh, like multiply this by an order of magnitude and then realize, okay, that is kind of the the feedback that I got from my environment. So I heard, all right, so I'm going to give you two weeks and you will be eating chicken and rice out of a Tupperware again. There's no way you will get enough protein. Now you went full crazy, uh, Florian, after going uh, vegan. So that was my journey. So uh, before I was training, before I was going vegan, I was already training uh, in the fitness. I was already training. I already had ambitions to work in the fitness industry at that time. 
which made kind of going vegan even harder because I was not sure whether that was actually a good choice for my health. It was purely a decision that I made for the animals. Um, and due to that, it added a lot of uncertainty also by the feedback that I got from the environment, um, from people that I did admire, right? So I had some uh, good friends who were in fantastic shape and they told me that it was never possible to get in shape uh, on a vegan diet. Um, and that made everything a bit harder. But um, kind of a few months after going vegan, I was in the best shape of my life, right? So that was not only because the vegan diet, but the kind of the vegan, the vegan diet was kind of seems to have improved my shape after going vegan. Um, and this is something that we can talk about today as well. So um, the way I like to think about veganism is that it's almost like a bicycle. So there's this famous study where you can look at um, the how effective the locomotion is of a species, meaning if you walk from A to B, how much energy does an organism need? And it turns out that humans in comp in comparison to other animals need a lot of en energy to walk from A to B. However, if you put a human on a bicycle, it needs the least amount of energy compared to all the other animals. That is a study, by the way, that kind of Steve Jobs liked to quote, liked to quote over and over again. And I like to think about veganism in the same way. So veganism is a bicycle that if you know how to use it properly, it will make er everything way easier that you want to achieve with your health and fitness. But if you don't know how to use it, use it, you're going to fall flat on your face, right? So that's how I like to think about veganism and kind of the bicycle analogy that I have. Um, when I went vegan, I had all the necessary um, kind of building blocks. I knew already how to ride the bicycle and I knew how to kind of use the bicycle to see the best possible results. Hence why kind of I got in fantastic shape a few months after going vegan, right? So that is um, my journey with fitness and veganism. Wow, I really, really love that analogy. And I think for everybody, it's a little bit of a learning curve and a learning experience. Um, and even with a meat-based diet, animals are not a reservoir of nutrients. Everything that they get is from plants. So if you're eating a meat-based diet and you have a ton of cheese and a ton of um, saturated fat and a ton of, you're not eating enough vegetables and variety, you're gonna fall flat on your face too. And um, so I think that's, you know, really great um, example. And today on this podcast, we're gonna actually walk you guys through some ways of eating and um, some foods that will give you the nutrients that you need. And I think that you also are very relatable to a lot of my listeners because I do have some listeners that are bros, that are guys that are maybe looking to change up their diet, but because of social pressure, they just haven't, or because of lack of information, they have not yet um, gone to a plant-based diet. But there's also some great resources out there as well. So why don't you talk about um, a typical day uh, for you being a, a coach? Like what would working with you be like? All right. That is a good question. Um, so that is really, I would say it's a very general question because I do work with people that have, that have a very unique situation. Um, and I do work with people in a very individualized and personalized way. That is the, the people that I've worked with range from the age of 25 to 75. Right, and completely different. Well, the principles of getting in shape is this, are the same whether you're 25 or 75, but the strategy needs to be completely different when there's a 50 year difference, right, between those uh, different clients that I do work with. Uh, also, I do work with people with a lot of different time constraints. For example, I do have a few vegan doctors in the program. So, vegan doctors that, that decide to work with me to get their health and fitness to the next level. And 
doctors tend to have a lot of things on their plate. Or uh, if I do work with an entrepreneur who works like an 80 hour work week, then we need to have a special kind of strategy for them to get in shape. What I found out is that getting in shape is similarly to, uh, or what I use another analogy is I use, or a terminology that I use, um, it's called the Anna Karenina principle. And I'm not sure if you're aware, aware or if you're familiar with the Anna Karenina principle. And that is essentially from a book um, by Leo Tolstoy. Um, it's called Anna Karenina. So Leo Tolstoy is kind of the classic Russian uh, novelist that everyone likes to quote when they want to sound super sophisticated, right? Um, that he wrote the book, uh, which was kind of next to War and Peace, was, which was called uh, Anna Karenina. And that started with all happy families are alike. And all unhappy families are unhappy in their own way. And I think the same, tr same thing is true for being in shape, is that all people in shape are alike, and all people out of shape are alike in their own unique way. Because there are multiple pillars that needs to be, need to be in place for a happy family to be happy, and there's multiple pillars that need to be in place for a person to be in shape. So most people might make the mistake that they just look at the strategy. Let's say, all right, I just need to have a meal plan, then you're getting in shape. Yes, but do you actually have kind of the discipline or the accountability required to pull through on that meal plan? Or do you have the belief that actually you can achieve this? Do you have an internal locus of control, meaning do you think that you can shape your own destiny? These, is, these are kind of a lot of things that the fitness industry does not talk about, right? They just think like, all right, uh, I give you a workout plan, I give you some kind of meal tips, and then afterwards you get in shape. But the thing is that getting in shape, similar to kind of the happy family analogy, requires a multitude of failures or potential failures that you need to avoid, right? So you need to have the, need to have the internal locus of control getting dialed in. You need to have enough discipline or accountability to pull through on that journey. And then you need to have kind of the right knowledge and the right strategy to see the best results in the quickest amount of time while still making it sustainable. So that is how it works, yeah. Creating those habits, I think, are going to be what's going to propel you forward because it's all about consistency. You know, if I'm super, quote unquote, great and following the plan one day, but then I'm not consistent with that over the next week or so, you're, gonna, you're not going to see any changes. So how do we get people to stay on track? How do we get that self-discipline? Exactly. That's why... Um, kind of big part of how I work with people is also we want to create a sustainable lifestyle change in people, because I think the kind of the gold standard or the gold standard of every good program is that when you finish the program, let's say a specific program that you follow, are you in better shape kind of one month after finishing the program? And if you look at that gold standard within the fitness programs available, most people, most programs absolutely fail that, right? So most people kind of do those 30 day challenges and then they're kind of one month after that 30 day challenge, they're in worse shape than they were before starting that 30 day challenge. So a big part how we work is also kind of sustainability aspect is that we want to work together on a prolonged period of time so we can build the habits. So you have those kind of behaviors. So we, we work with the behaviors, we build so behaviors turn into habits and the habits turn into your identity, right? So you want to create an identity of you that is kind of fit vegan, right? After the time period of us working together. And due to that, we have that sustainability. And due to that, you have a routine that you can actually stick to long term. So that is kind of another um, aspect that that we work on together to really guarantee a, a long lasting lifestyle change. So it's super interesting because everybody always starts off in a different place, you know, like 
I'm, I would say I'm active. I'm pretty fit. Like I could run six miles. I eat fairly good. I mean, I definitely do eat more than I probably should. Like, for example, I had a whole block of tofu last night, which was 75 grams of protein and probably about 700 calories on top of like eating like other things. And like, that's, that's too much in one meal. So that's like one thing that I probably should like track or whatever. But so everybody's starting off in different places. So like, do you have people get a blood test to see where their vitamin levels are at or where they're at uh, nutritionally, if there's any supplements that they need to take? That's a wonderful question as well. So again, um, kind of the principles of getting in shape are the same or very similar to every person, right? So that also makes me confident. For example, if the principles would not be the same, I would not feel confident telling a potential client that I can actually help them get in shape. Like if you have no clue whether you can help that person, then um, you're just rolling the dice, right? And that is not what I'm doing. So the principles of um, getting in shape is the same for every person. So the principles of losing weight, principles of building muscle, the principles of, of optimal health are actually quite similar from individual to individual. Um, so that is not really, that is the principle. But what is different is kind of the unique strategy that we need to focus on with the person that we work with. Uh, for example, I recently started work, work with a person who was in the early stages of heart disease. Right. So he had um, he had symptoms such as shortness of breath. Um, he had kind of like freaking chest pain. Um, he couldn't walk up a flight of stairs and he had his doctor appointment or kind of he went to a doctor. And the way it usually works when they suspect you having heart disease is that you get recommended to a specialist. Right. So he went to a doctor. Doctor thought he had kind of early stages of heart disease, um, got sent to a specialist. And that's when he decided to start the program. And about two weeks later, he had that appointment with the specialist. And the specialist told him, hey, look, there's no sign of heart disease here. No sign of heart disease. Uh, went back to the doctor. Doctor's like, I don't know what he did, but seems to have improved. So a lot of the lifestyle choices that we make, um, which ties back into the program, um, can strongly affect kind of the outcome that we do have, not only with our health and fitness, kind of with the, with the physique goals that we have, but also with our chronic diseases. So oh, every person does start out on a different kind of starting point, but the principles of getting in shape are the same, uh, but the strategy needs to be unique for the person kind of that we focus on, or I used to call this kind of the clear roadmap. So the roadmap is different from person to person, depending on the situation that they start at. Of course. And depending on what food they like, because also you guys, another thing I really want to get through in this podcast is that mm. it's, it's creating a lifestyle, not restricting yourself to the point where you're not living a happy life. You know, um, <laughs> you know, if I wanted to be in Victoria's secret model shape, whatever, and just, you know, not eat anything that's, that, that's not fun either. You know, like I definitely want to be able to create mm. a lifestyle, something that is sustaining, something that you feel your best on, and something that makes you look your best. So why don't we like start breaking it down? Like what are some foods or tips and tricks that you have that you recommend? Um, I think one of the crucial things I think that most people are not aware of, um, let's say specifically when they're trying um, to lose their weight, is that actually people eat a similar amount of volume of food every single day. Meaning that usually if you, a good, uh, a good strategy to start with kind of eating better is not it's not only eating less of the bad stuff, it's also eating more of the good stuff. Because the good stuff that you eat, meaning let's say some good wedgies, and that can literally be wedgies of your choice. There's a few wedgies that are better than others, like for example, wedgies. broccoli and spinach. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a bit like vegetables, right? So uh, 
um, spinach or broccoli, for example, are one of the kind of gold standard uh, of wedgies. But the more wedgies you eat, the less you will have space for other bad stuff in your nutrition. And even better, your microbiome changes. And your microbiome is kind of the bacteria that you do have in your gut. And that strongly influences the craving that you have and the food choices that you would like to make. So after some time, when you do have a better microbiome in your gut, you will actually not even crave kind of the things that you're looking to crave because the cravings are entirely dependent on the things that you eat. So you literally crave what you eat, right? So um, that, that would be the first thing that I would say is, yes, a big part of you getting in shape is kind of getting rid of the bad stuff if you currently have a lot of bad things in your nutrition, but also a big part of getting in great shape, in fantastic shape, is just eating more of the good stuff. So like the good stuff, we got a ton of veggies. We got, you know, some proteins like tofu, tempeh, seitan is a lot of what I enjoy. What, what's some of the bad stuff, though, that people should try and stay away from and why? All right. Good, good question. I think I, I do generalize this because I think most people are aware of what their bad stuff is. Right. If you would ask a person. So um, if there's one thing that you would need to get rid of in your nutrition for optimal health, what would it be? Like most people will have an answer to that, right? There is a, oh, I drink too much Red Bull, you know? That's, for example, an example of the bad stuff. They're like, oof, I have a donut after work. Yeah, that's not that good. Or every every kind of evening, I drink three beers. And it's like, mm, that's something to improve on, right? So that is kind of the bad stuff that one needs to get rid of. And the kind of the beauty about that is that most people intuitively know what the bad stuff is. When it gets harder is when you do work with a person that is on a very high level with their health and fitness, as I would assume you are as well, right? It seems like you're very active as well. So then it becomes a bit harder because then you would need to have kind of better overview of your situation to really differentiate. So, all right, which kind of nutrition choices do have more antioxidants than the others? And which kind of nutrition choices give you more um, kind of micronutrients than the others? Which kind of nutrition choices are more conducive to giving you opti optimal glycogen storage for you to be able to perform best in your workouts? So that is kind of like when you are on a high level, then the questions become a bit harder. But even then, you do know intuitively that you make certain kind of choices that are not as good as the others, right? For example, for me, sometimes I do enjoy Coke Zero. So that is like for, for a normal person, it would be like, hey, look, that is, um, that is not that bad at all. But when you're on a good health and fitness, they're like, ooh, should probably get rid of that Coke Zero every, every three days or so, right? Totally. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's always room to improve. Like there's always more sleep that I could be getting. There's always less bread and, and vegan cheese that I could be eating. But my another question that I had for you is what what is your thoughts on um, like carbs and keto and what, like what, what's your take on it? Because I feel like everybody always has a different one. Um, yeah, so the... The beautiful thing about, or the hard thing about the fitness industry is that there's a lot of opinions, right? The good thing about the fitness industry is that there's clear signs, right? Uh, or not clear signs, but there's a general trend line of where the science is pointing to. So you have a lot of opinions and then you have kind of like general trend line of where the science is pointing to, right? Um, and the way it looks like with the, with the kind of food choices, specifically in regards to carbs, is that keto in itself doesn't really make that much sense right? Because, because our, our brain needs to have a baseline of carbohydrates to function properly. That is usually at least 100 grams that we need of carbs per day. And yeah, sure, you can just have 100 grams of carbs per day and then you think you're fine. But the question is, why should you? So our brain has evolved as a preferred food source to use glucose. Um, yes, it will survive on ketones, but why should it, right? That it's an alternative kind of survival mechanism in times of scarcity. Um, so yes, it makes sense for our brain to survive on alternative um, methods of 
food as well, but why should it? The preferred food source is glucose. So that is the first thing. The second thing that most people are not aware of is that a crucial part of we especially building muscle and we having that mental clarity, so mental clarity and building muscle is strongly related with how many with how much glycogen storage we do have. And glycogen is essentially the storage of carbohydrates in our body. So you eat carbs and in our body that car carbohydrates get stored and then they have a different name. It's, it's then called glycogen. But it's essentially, it's virtually the same, um, just kind of the storage form of carbohydrates. And what a lot of people don't know is that if your glycogen storage is depleted, that, that goes along with mental exhaustion and fatigue. So if you're feeling constantly fatigued on a keto diet, and I have tried the keto diet before, it was one of the first diets that I tried and almost killed myself uh, while trying to do keto. I was, I'd never felt so horrible uh, in my life while doing the keto diet. I think that was about eight, eight or nine years ago before going vegan. Not a good choice, right? Um, and then the other thing is that if you do not have enough glycogen storage, kind of the preferred food source for your muscles while training, while building muscle is glycogen as well. That is why a lot of people, while they're on the keto diet, they don't have any energy when working out and they're barely seeing any fitness results. It's actually, there's actually studies showing that if you put people on different regimes with workouts and they all do the same exercises and the same reps, the people of keto see no results compared to the people that have more carbohydrates. Like literally a non-responder when they do have a keto diet because they don't have that excess energy so they can put or push their body out of the status quo for the body to then adapt. So that is kind of where glycogen also do uh, come in. So most people are kind of fascinated, all right, we should have a, um, a lot of protein. Well, there's a time and place for protein. Carbohydrates are also important to kind of push yourself out of, out of the status quo and see the best results for the time and effort that you do apply in the gym or in your workouts at home. And I think when we so talk, that's, that's oh, great. Yeah. No, I think, and I think you broke it down really nicely. But when we talk about carbohydrates, you guys, it's not necessarily a bagel every single day or pizza every single day. Carbs actually come from fruits and vegetables as well. So there's a difference from refined carbs and uh, I guess it's simple carbs. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and food, like give people hard examples of what would be something great to replenish with after a workout? Great question. So the kind of that is an important point that you made there is the carbs are not created equal. There are bad carbs, for example, Coke is full of carbs or an energy drink is full of carbs, but that is sugar. And I think most people are already aware of that that is just overall not a good food to consume. And then there are good carbs, which I would assume are, for example, brown rice or even the banana, I would say is a very good carb. That is usually my preferred pre-workout fuel along with a good coffee. So that is kind of, I keep it very simple when it comes to getting the optimal performance and getting my carbs in. And then after the workout, uh, for example, a brown rice or even, even things such as, let's say, um, whole wheat pasta. That is a good source of carbs. Now, of course, kind of the whole wheat pasta is not as well for losing your weight as, for example, brown rice. And you also need to adjust the portioning when you're losing your weight, right? Meaning you cannot eat um, kind of five cups of pasta and think, yeah, good carbs. But then afterwards, you're still trying to lose weight. So that's completely different. There's different variables and parameters that one needs to adjust to see kind of the desired results. Hence why we go back to that unique roadmap and the clear strategy people need. Right, right. And, and I think portion control definitely is one of them. But I think after going plant-based, at least what I've realized and I've seen is that not only have my 
fitness goals uh, been reached and have I exceeded them by a lot, but also it's something that's super sustainable. So I don't ever find myself being restrictive or I can pretty much eat as much as I want to eat on a whole foods plant-based diet and maintain my physique and the goals that I want to reach. That's a good point as well. I would say kind of for, for a lot of people that is true, but there's usually or I would say, depending on the fitness goals that you do have, for example, if you want to have a rock hard six pack, that usually goes along with kind of some sacrifices that one needs to make with their health and fitness. Like you can have the best fundament with your nutritional choices. You will have a lot of fiber in your nutrition, which will make sure that you have a lot of satiety. You can stack all the cards in your fi- favor, but you will still have that feeling of restriction to kind of go to that next level. Also, most people in their health and fitness choices, I'm just talking to vegans right now. Let's say that if you're currently significantly overweight, you have 10 extra pounds that you're looking to lose. I think it would be a wrong advice to those people to tell them, hey, look, it will be easy. Because frankly, like getting in shape is not easy, right? It can be simple. It can be straightforward. It can be easier than probably what you are doing on your own if you do have the right strategy and the right accountability, but it's never easy. So initially especially in the first month, there will be kind of some changes that you need to make. And we have evolved to dislike any change, even if it's for the better. Because our brain wants to make sure that we are kind of, you're staying in our status quo, we're staying in our own lane, and we're not improving and growing, even if it is for the kind of for the betterment of our body. So that is important to note as well, that when you do feel right now that you're a fellow vegan, or even your whole food plant-based, or because you can eat a lot of fruits and you can still be kind of overweight, um, because just because because fruits still obey the first laws of thermodynamics, all right. So even when you're in that situation, it's important to know that not everything is like it is not supposed to be very very easy, right? It can be easier than what you're doing uh, right now, but there still needs to be a change that you're making. But the good news about that is that change and that discomfort is very temporary. The human beings have a kind of chance to get adopted to almost every circumstances that they kind of subject themselves to. Meaning, yes, you the first kind of few weeks will probably be a little bit of a struggle to do that. But then afterwards, you get accustomed to your new, better version very, very quickly. And you will be so glad that you did it. That makes complete sense. And I think what I'm trying to say is that going from a, a standard American diet where, you know, you go into the delis, you got a million choices for chopped cheese, burgers, chicken nuggets, whatever it is, and then transitioning to whole foods, plant-based vegan definitely makes the choices um, to be in shape healthier just because... or easier for me at least like that transition because I'm not deciding between you know a seven layer lasagna and uh you know uh pepperoni pizza like I'm deciding between lentils and tofu and uh uh I don't know like a big salad filled with lots of veggies or whatever it is you know I it's definitely my choices I've noticed after going vegan I'm eating more of a variety um and lots of colors and I feel full, you know, I feel really good after every meal. And um, I think there's a transitional period that at least happened with me. When I first went vegan, I was eating a lot of, you know, the mock meats. I was eating a lot of the Amy's vegan pizzas. I was eating a lot of the junk food, a lot of French fries. Because, you know, you'd go out with friends, we'd be at a diner. And what can I get? It's like, 
well, I don't want to eat a salad right now and I don't really want soup or anything like that. I want French fries. So yeah, of course you can eat crappy food on a vegan plant-based diet. Of course, of course. Uh, but there are a lot, there's 800 million fruits and vegetables out there, yet people still choose to eat the same three dead animals. It's insane. Don't mistake me. I was not disagreeing with you before, right? I was just making that additional statement because a lot of people kind of health and fitness is a very personal topic, right? And it's very, very easy for, especially because I think every every vegan does have kind of like, um, I would say if you take a vegan if, and if you take a regular omnivore, kind of the average vegan is probably more intelligent uh, than an omnivore because it takes kind of like that good self-awareness and that awareness of your surroundings to make that decision to go vegan. And then you're vegan and you're still not in shape, which most people just accustomed to like, oh, you don't have enough discipline, although that's just kind of one part of the equation. Um, it's very easy to feel like, all right, you're doing something wrong, right? Or something with you is off. And I just want to show that, no, there's likely nothing that is off with you. What you just need is a clear strategy um, and probably a better roadmap or better kind of things to do or better behaviors that you're currently doing. And the good news to that is that it's absolutely possible and that is very realistic um, for almost everyone to get, or I, would, I should say for everyone, unless there's kind of like a hidden untreated autoimmune disease that you're not aware of. So that I just want to mention that. And look, I completely agree with you that usually going vegan is, is a good choice. Um, you will see a net improvement with your health and fitness, even if you just go vegan for the animals, just because you're going to eat more veggies. But I'm going to tell you that kind of the meat alternatives are also quite tasty. So you have to be aware to not kind of fall back into those old behaviors and then just kind of eat beyond meat every single day, because, well, that probably still is an improvement the kind of the antibiotic antibiotics uh, filled meat, uh, real meats, kind of full of the uh, hormones uh, in there. They don't really want to have any nutrition. It's still not as good as making those whole food plant based choices. So um, overall net improvement, but there's still a way to mess it up, <laughs> I should say. Thank you for clarifying that. No, and I'm so, so, so glad that you said that and brought it up because yeah, for some people it can be really hard and maybe very frustrating. Like I've um, one of my cousins actually tried to go vegan and had a really hard time with it. And I was trying to walk her through it. And it's just like, you know, I, I can only suggest so much. Um, and she does, wasn't doing very well with carbs and uh, was feeling hungry and whatever it is. So talking with you, I think, would be really helpful for her. Uh, because, yeah, it is different for everybody when you factor in age, when you factor in genetics. You know, I'm 23 years old. Like... I mean, that, that that might be easier for me than for somebody that may be in their 40s or 50s, live, you know, with three kids, you know, whatever it is. So um, that, no, I'm so, so, so glad you you brought that up. So can you tell me a little bit about like a day of eating for you? Like, what, what do you start your day with? A wonderful question. So that is kind of, I just kind of go, go outline what works for me, right? Because my my eating is all is also adapted to kind of my work schedule because a big kind of thing next to being in shape, I would say next to being in shape, what I probably value more in my life is just work because I really like working. I like what I do. And I think that is, um, I think the better you get at something, the more you like what you do. So that is uh, like a big part of my schedule is work and nutrition. My nutrition is adapted to my work. So I usually like to wake up very early. So I'm going to show you my daily routine just because it ties into my um, to my nutrition behavior. So I wake up usually at 5.30 and 
And then in the morning, I do get about three to four hours of kind of focused work done. And I usually take one or two coffees in the morning because I like, I like coffee. I think um, contrary to what other people might think, I think it's actually, um, I, I think it's not the best kind of behavior or best kind of nutritional choice, but it is, it is still kind of, it has a lot of antioxidants in there and it does help you get stuff done because it does kind of sp- uh, spike uh, adrenaline a bit. Um, and, and coffee is a pesticide, um, basically. So plants use this. Um, yeah, we don't have to go into that. But I'm actually there makes very a lot of curious sense. because I'm going through this like battle with coffee right now where I love it. I love the taste. I love everything about it. I do my oat milk lattes. Okay. But then, you know, it's like shocks your nervous system. It's probably not the best thing to be drinking first thing in the morning. I could probably benefit from a lemon water. Um, but also it's like what I drink at least is probably 80% milk of like oat milk or almond milk or soy milk, whatever it is. And then a little bit of coffee. And I don't know, like, what is the, what, what is your thoughts on, on that? Um, so I went, I went back and forth, whether that's actually a good behavior or a bad behavior, like with, with coffee. And there again, kind of the, your susceptibility to coffee will probably depend on a psychological factor, kind of how high you are in neuroticism, meaning I'm actually very, I'm not a neurotic person at all, meaning it takes a lot to really spike my emotions to the level that I actually consciously realize them. And most people have kind of like a lot of emotions, right? So they usually, they're susceptible to, they're, they have a higher susceptibility to coffee than, for example, I do. Now with coffee, there's a few things that we need to keep top of mind. So I really went into the rabbit hole of coffee research. So let's just kind of quickly uh, touch base upon this. So coffee is actually a thing that plants use in the in nature to um to um what is the proper word for that to disincentivize <laughs> to disincentivize kind of other insects from eating the the coffee the coffee bean so the way that this works is that in nature we have to understand that there's not that much energy available and if, i think what what constrains evolution over time is the availability of energy so most organisms live in a very energy scarce environment. For example, if you take a bacteria such as E. coli, which re- reproduces every 20 minutes, if that has the right nutrients available, within one day, that will fill the entire planet. So what constrains evolution and kind of most organisms on the planet is the availability to nutrients. Meaning what caffeine, caffeine is, that is a substance that will make insects expend more energy. And in a situation when there's not much energy available, insects will die quicker. Meaning it's an, it's an effective mode for making sure that insects do not eat you that often. For humans, we're living, we're living in an environment where there's an abundance of energy and we're naturally lazy, right? So that expenditure of energy is actually a positive trait in our situation. Meaning that we want to have kind of, that's why a lot of people drink coffee because First of all, we like mind-altering kind of experiences. That's why a lot of people, for example, also do smoke weed or drink alcohol because they like to have, humans have a natural tendency to like to have a different uh, state of mind. And also because it allows us to expend more calories to then get more stuff done. So that is kind of positive side effect for caffeine for our human species because we do live in an abundance of, of an energy environment. A downside of coffee is that it does spike adrenaline and therefore it does have a higher toll on our heart than, for example, if you wouldn't drink coffee. So the natural resting pulse of a person or the resting heart rate 
is higher if you drink coffee than if you wouldn't. And that could be a downside because there's some signs indicating that we only have a limited amount of heartbeats. Meaning that if people feel constantly stressed and if people drink more coffee, there's a chance that they will die slightly sooner than others. But if you take a look at the all-cause mortality, meaning that is a fancy word for saying kind of death of any cause, usually people who drink about five to six cups of coffee a day, which I would say is a significant amount of coffee, have the lowest all-cause mortality. So those people seem to die, um, seem to live the longest compared to others, which would then refute that claim again. So the short answer to that is that the science is complex, but the way it should look like is that coffee could have even a beneficial effect for your longevity and like either a neutral effect or might be even a slight beneficial effect to your longevity uh, just because of the previous facts outlined. So that is my thoughts on coffee. So that's how I start my day, uh, just to get a lot of things done uh, early on in the morning. And I also like coffee, like how it makes me feel. Uh, just black, just black. Yeah, I, I, like normally one should not go for instant coffee, but that's just kind of a, <laughs> a habit that I accumulate. I just use instant coffee. And instant coffee is not as good as kind of regular coffee. So I went to um, a few months ago, I was in Colombia and I went to a coffee farm and the guy explained, explained me that they actually use kind of the, um, they use the rest of the coffee beans to use for instant coffee. So usually the, the coffee beans that are molded are rotten, they use it for instant coffee. Um, so that's that that probably a behavior that I should be improved on, right? But I, for some reason, I just like the, the quickness of instant coffee. So I use instant coffee in the morning, I kind of to get the work done, then usually have an oatmeal um, in the in the morning. And I would like to say that I use this with soy milk, but I'm, I'm such a kind of spartanic person that I just use this with water and actually got to use it to taste. So I have, soy, I have uh, oatmeal with water uh, in the morning and I, before kind of, well, I should kind of revert slightly, while having the coffee, I will also take a few supplements. And that is B12, uh, D3, and Omega-3 from Melgay. I think these three supplements do make the most sense for vegans looking to optimize their health. So I do have my oatmeal. And then usually for lunchtime, because I'm here in Brazil, I like to order things. I also do like to order things um, from kind of delivery services because it doesn't take me any time to cook. So usually I have kind of like a poke bowl, like a vegan poke bowl. So it's kind of like a Japanese, Chinese poke bowl with a lot of wedgies uh, in there, some tofu, some uh, shimei, shimei, not sure how to pronounce that one in English. <laughs> I mean, it's it's mushroom, right? Um, so it's, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's not shiitake. It's, uh, I know the Portuguese pronunciation because they, pronounce it in Portuguese, like shimeji uh, down here, but I'm not sure if it's the same in, in English, right? So I do have the, the poke bowl um, for the lunch. And then depending on if, if I like to build muscle or not in the afternoon, I usually have an acai uh, bowl for that extra calories. And I usually have it in combination with a protein shake. And then um, at dinner time, um, like could be something similar to the poke bowl, or I order another salad bowl, for example, or I order some something Japanese, like some um, Japanese makis um, combined with a miso soup um, as a dinner. So I do not really cook that often, uh, to be completely frank, because I just like to have the additional benefit in productivity and just kind of put it, order something nice and then eat that. So that is what I eat in a regular day right now. That sounds delicious. Yeah, and I'm sure you change it up, you know, if you're feeling, you know, sushi rolls instead of the bowl or if you're feeling something more Mexican style. I mean, that's the beauty of 
being plant-based is you can literally eat every single cuisine and you just modify it. And you, I mean, Japanese food is especially great and easy because there are so many vegetables and there's so much to experiment with. Like you're going to find yourself eating things that you would have never thought to eat. And then therefore your body will thank you because it's like you're getting all these different nutrients. You're getting iodine from the seaweed. Most people don't realize that that's another really important supplement, vitamin that you should be getting in your diet. So that's really great. Do you put anything in the oatmeal, by the way? Or you just eat it plain? So that's the funny thing. So my oatmeals, and I still do that sometimes. For example, let's say I have a lot of time on the weekend. I make a very nice, fancy oatmeal with kind of vanilla soy milk, put some banana in there, put some dates in there, maybe some goat cheese berries. I love that stuff. Um, but <laughs> the funny thing is, that is a key example of kind of how adaptable our food choices are and our taste perceptions. Is that I actually look forward to eating an oatmeal after our call today. And that oatmeal is very bland. It doesn't have any taste, but just because I've eaten it for a prolonged period of time, I like it. And this comes from a guy, I remember... When I was younger, so in my teenage years, I was going on vacation with a friend. And this guy, we were we were teenagers, so teenagers are naturally very broke, right? So we were we were going to a breakfast place and he's like ordering this thing for I think 20 Swiss francs. I'm like, dude, are you crazy? I just take a donut and I just pay one dollar or like one Swiss franc for that. And I thought he was super stupid for kind of investing in a healthy breakfast, right? So that comes from a guy who thought it was a very smart decision to have a donut um, as, a, as a breakfast and some, uh, some energy drink to kind of do gulp this down with, right? Just because it's $2. And right now I'm kind of looking forward to enjoying oatmeal with just water. And that is kind of to show you kind of how adaptable your food choices are. So the more foods you eat of a certain kind, the more you will crave them uh, later on. Meaning I'm looking forward to have my oatmeal there afterwards. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I love oatmeal and there's all different types. You go to Trader Joe's. I just got this oatmeal that is like ancient grains. I think it has like amaranth in it. It has like de quinoa, millet and oats. And it's absolutely amazing. It's super delicious. So quickly, let's just go into your workout routine. How do you build muscle? Let's say you're trying to maintain, like what are some tips with that? What do you think of cardio versus lifting? How do we get abs? <laughs> Great question. Great question. So there's a lot of questions and let's kind of first touch base upon kind of what few people don't know. It's that actually there's two different types of muscle growth. There's, there seems to be, depending on this, or there seems to be, according to the science, developmental hypertrophy that usually goes along with having kind of your body that is in an optimal kind of hormonal milieu. For example, uh, let's say a guy that has, a, or let's say a guy that would inject testosterone, he will have a higher amount of de developmental hypertrophy. That's just he will be buff without doing anything. That is kind of the first thing. And some people do have way higher testosterone level than others. So they will have kind of different baseline of muscle growth. But then there's load induced hypertrophy. And that is a fancy word for if you put stress on your muscles, they will always adapt and they will adapt in a very similar way. So even the guy that is very, very buff that has a lot of testosterone, the adaptations between them and let's say me or even kind of you, because women do naturally have lower amount of testosterone, will actually be quite similar. So women, for example, build a similar amount or similar amount relative to their body weight than men do. So the load-induced hypertrophy is actually quite similar between individuals. There is a lot of people. There's a lot of things that a lot of people are not aware of, because um, kind of often the fitness industry 
it's kind of an industry where a lot of people do not really go to the length to kind of distinguish clear cause and effect relationship between those things. So a lot of times in the fitness industry, we hear things such, okay, this guy is a non-responder. No matter what he's trying, he's not re seeing results. And I think few people go to the length to actually use their own brain and think like, all right, is that person not seeing results because of an inherent genetic defect? Or is that person not seeing any results because a lot of kind of some verbals or some parameters to see results are not kind of in place. And there's this fancy kind of quote Thomas Edison had. And a lot of people say it's a quote from Thomas Edison, but it's actually incorrect because he had it on it constantly on his laboratory. That is from, um, I don't really know who say it, said it, but the quote is, there's no expedient to which a man will not go to to avoid the hard labor of thinking. Meaning most people do not want to think and kind of identify clear cause and effect relationships of why things work the way that they do work. That is a fancy kind of response to what I told you there before. But kind of the way I structure my exercise routine is to first of all kind of understand that the main thing that matters is, is there enough load on the muscles to grow? That is kind of the main thing that one should optimize for in the workout schedule. For the exercise that I choose or the way that I train, is there actually enough load for the specific muscle that I'm looking to train to adapt? That's kind of the key thing to optimize for in the workout schedule. Um, and most people have like, all right, I focus on the deadlift or I focus on the bench press, I focus on the squats. Well, all right, which kind of muscles are you actually looking to train? For example, if you take a look at the deadlift, that's more of a kind of um, a lower back exercise than it is anything else. Squats very similarly. So, uh, a lot of the exercises that most people think do make a lot of sense are actually quite nonsensical when it comes to building the optimal amount of muscle. So the first thing that I do is exercise selection. So you need to have the proper exercise to see the best possible results. And some of the exercises that we think are great are in fact great, but some of the exercises we think are great are actually not that great. The second thing that, that we need to have is we need to have optimal frequency in our training. Meaning you need to have a consistent workout schedule that you can actually stick to for the long term. And that should be at least two times per week. If you're training one time every, every month, then don't wonder why you're not seeing any results. The big part is the consistency. You need to be consistent. And the third part, which I would just like to share here as well, is also progression. Is that you need to make sure that we have to understand that our body only adapts to the stress that it absolutely needs to. Meaning if your body does not see a clear reason to adapt, your body will not adapt because that's how our body is structured. Meaning you have to constantly increase the pressure on your muscle for them to grow continuously to the ideal shape that you're looking to be in. So what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. Yeah, those are really important. I think for a lot of women, at least like for me, like I don't want to bulk up. That's just not something that is in my goals. And I find that a lot of Coaches and people that I've had always tell me, oh, you're not going to bulk up, lift heavy, lift heavy. And I'm like, I don't want to be squatting 200 pounds. Like, it's just, I'm, I'm 110 pounds. Like, I'm not squatting that. <laughs> and I think, you know, figuring out what certain people's fitness goals are. But I guess if you're eating properly, you're, I, and as women, it is harder to put on that kind of muscle. But the, the thing is like, on some part, kind of your the fitness coach that you had in the past is correct. It's actually quite hard to bulk up, right? So you will not kind of wake up, you will not go to sleep tonight and tomorrow you will be kind of double your body size. It's actually quite hard to improve a significant amount of volume uh, of your muscles. So that is, it's hard, but it's not impossible, right? And it's very realistic for most people. That's important to put out there as well. 
But the other kind of thing is like, all right, is squatting 200 pounds truly required to get optimal fitness level and just look kind of uh, feminine, sexy, or attractive or whatever goals that you have? And for most kind of clients that I work with, the answer is no, right? So I don't have any client, or if I do have a client that is kind of squatting that amount, it's usually because the client is an athlete and it's looking to perform for a certain kind of feature, let's say CrossFit athlete or something like that. Um, but for most for almost everyone that's looking to get in shape, kind of squatting that amount is not required. And it's actually quite stupid. Um, sorry for that kind of direct answer there, because like if you're squatting 200 pounds, um, especially if you're sitting a lot, you have so much kind of constant pressure on your lower back. And then if the form is not perfect, you're bending your spine, you have kind of this, this hip wink, or um, I think it's called butt wink, it's called, then you have additional load on your lower back. And I feel that strong about that because I was a guy. I was a guy kind of squatting a lot of kind of weight, thought he was doing uh, very, very good work. But then, you know, what the, what do I have now from that? I have, is I have kind of, if I'm not, if I do not make the right behaviors, I do have back pain, right? So that's kind of like the thing that I do have from not, from squatting as much weight as possible or kind of believing the lies of the fitness industry or I should say the incompetence from a lot of trainers. So, um, there's a lot of misinformation out there and that's why having a coach somebody like you would be really great to break that down and and see what's going to work for somebody you know and and so guys uh you can reach florian at please pimp yourself out all right of course so um just very good segue there i would like to allude to that right now so we live in a time and age where there's a lot of information so what is of value today is not information what is of value is filtered information for your specific and unique situation that is of value today and that is exactly what i can offer you next to kind of all the other parameters that we talked about before to help you get in shape on a vegan diet quickly and sustainably and then build a habit out of this so you can sustain this for the long term so the way you can learn more about my work is you can go to fitvegans.com there's an S at the end, so fitvegans.com. You can take a look at the testimonials. We have multiple kind of interviews there as well because the, the fitness industry likes to fake their testimonials. All of the testimonials that you see on our website are absolutely real. and These are real people uh, in our program. And then if you like what you see, you can also go um, on the website. You can book a free call with yours truly. And that is a free call where I can point you in the right direction. And if at the end it makes sense, I will invite you to join our program if I think you're a wonderful fit. Because I, also, I only want to work with people that are a wonderful fit. Uh, for the program so that is kind of quick way to find me best way is website i also do have a youtube channel a linkedin account a facebook account linkedin is where we connected i have a total of about 20 to thirty thousand followers so um that is a quick background to where best to find me and what the best next steps might be for you and what's your instagram I actually do not have any any Instagram. That is a very atypical thing for a fitness influencer. And the reason that I do not have any Instagram is, is because I actually try to minimize social media as good as possible. Uh, because I think the uh, every second that I spend on social media, I'm not kind of getting better at my craft. And I think the most important thing for me is just to be good at what I'm doing. Uh, so a lot of kind of like being um, constantly on Instagram takes away from that angle. Oh, I hear you. It's it's a it's an addiction. It's bad. It's really bad. But um, people can definitely go check you out at fitvegans.com. And guys, if you're looking for a coach or any sort of guidance, Florian is your guy. Okay, so um, I'm at J Lo Kurtz. The podcast is at It's Jamie's Corner. And thank you so much for listening. Hope this helped. Thank you, Jamie. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Awesome. All right. Bye, guys.